you call people to be baptized in repentance, you're calling people to clean house to make room for Jesus Christ. You're calling people to take out the trash to make room for Messiah. You're calling people to stop filling their lives with the world to make room for the Word, the Word of God, John 1, Jesus Christ, the living Word. Hi, friends and loved ones. Welcome back to Live in the Light. I'm the host of Live in the Light, Craig Turnbull, and joining me in our studio is our teacher, Pastor Robbie Simons. And you are joining us where maybe you're in a car or maybe you're at home with the kids or maybe you're at your workplace. Wherever you are, you've joined us in the middle of our series, which we're calling Less is More. It's an awesome series looking at the life of a very unique and powerfully used character in God's Word, John the Baptist. And Robbie, really today's message takes us right to the theme verse behind this whole series, which is in John 3, verse 30, which says, he must increase, but I must decrease. Yeah, I love this verse so much. But let me be honest, too, my flesh hates it. But the Spirit of God within me loves it. It's kind of what Jesus says to his disciples, right? The Spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Flesh, my flesh at least, just says, no, no, be more, be more, be more. The Spirit of God within me says, no, no. The more you decrease, the more you actually start to live. Hey, Living Light listeners, do you believe that? I mean, fundamentally, this whole series, you know, you're tracking with John the Baptist, it really comes down to, do I believe God's smarter than I am? Do I believe that as I become less, I actually start to live more? Like, when I serve my spouse or family, when I serve those around me, when I love those who persecute me, when I choose to honor those who either deserve or don't deserve to be, I mean, that's what really comes down to. And this is what John the Baptist fully understood. Now, why did he do this? Because he loved Jesus so much. See, his whole motivation for decreasing was that Christ would increase. And again, even as I say it right now, I just believe it. I believe it with everything I have. But God, help us to live it by your grace more. So as this series encourages you, let us know, would you? Let us know how the life of John the Baptist is challenging you as he looks and loves Jesus and that we hopefully would be doing the same. So again, excited to present to you God's word again today from John 3 in such one of these fantastic passages. And may the Lord truly speak to you supernaturally today. I mean that with everything I have in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, let's jump right away into God's word and a truth for us today, which we all need to hear. John chapter 3, verses 25 through 30, takes us to the message which we're calling, Less of Us, More of Him. All right, John 3. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Notice this. Let every heart prepare him room. Now notice that phrase. Let every heart prepare him room in heaven and nature sing. Let every heart prepare him room. Now isn't that the ministry of John the Baptist? The ministry of John the Baptist came that every heart would prepare room for Jesus Christ. I mean, his ministry, prepare the way of the Lord. Make room in your heart for the king. Every heart prepare to sing. Every heart 
prepare him room. And isn't it so interesting? The way that John the Baptist did that was his ministry was a baptism of repentance. Now, how does a ministry involving a baptism of repentance prepare hearts for the Lord? Well, think about it. To call people to be baptized in repentance, you're calling people to clean house to make room for Jesus Christ. You're calling people to take out the trash to make room for Messiah. You're calling people to stop filling their lives with the world to make room for the Word, the Word of God, John 1, Jesus Christ, the living Word. And so this becomes the heart of our series. This is, this is our opportunity as well. Let every heart prepare him room. Let me ask us, are we preparing room for the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we preparing room? It's amazing. We're often so filled with the things of the world. Again, is there any room for Christ at all? But that's the whole point. This is why John the Baptist came. And the question we ask is, how do we prepare room for Christ in our hearts, which is a perfect segue into our sermon title today, which is this. It's, here's how, less of us and more of him. Less of us. That's how we prepare room for Christ in our hearts. Less of us and more of him. And this is exactly what our text says and explains to us today. John 3, look at verse 25 now, verse 25. Our theme verse is in this, theme verse for our whole series is in this text too at the end. We'll see that as we go through it. John 3, verse 25. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, look, he's baptizing, and all are going to him. And John answered, a person, this is brilliant, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands, notice, and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. And he finishes this section with, he must increase, but I must decrease. In our text today, we're going to see three major applications, three wonderful applications for us to take with us and apply to our lives right now. I'm going to give them in part to you right now. We're going to see this. We're going to see proper perspective. We're going to see proper position, and we're going to see our proper plea. Perspective, position, and plea. First one is this, the proper perspective, but what is it? Here it is, all I have is grace. The proper perspective of how I decrease and Christ increases is to understand that all I have is grace. Again, notice in verse 26, and they, the disciples of John, came to John the Baptist and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Now, what we learn here, which is so interesting, is that for a time, Jesus and John the Baptist had parallel ministries. They both had a ministry of baptism. So how do we know that? Verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem because water was plentiful there and people were coming 
and being baptized. Now, it's important to note here, okay? Jesus and John both have a ministry of baptism at this time. Both a ministry, again, of a baptism of repentance. But notice, we need to know this. Jesus himself did not baptize. His disciples baptized. You say, how do you know that? Chapter 4, verse 2. Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. Now, why is that important? Well, can you imagine if you could claim that you were baptized by Jesus? Enter strut. Hey, what's up, man? How are you doing? Pretty good. You know me? Baptized by Jesus. Were you? Were you? Like instantly there's an elitism that forms, and then instantly you could say, man, I I should be an apostle, man. Who are you? I was baptized by Jesus. Jesus is very smart, so he did not baptize anyone actually himself. But his disciples took on this ministry, again, of seeing baptism at the same time as John. So again, notice this, Jesus and John both active in ministry, and it's at this point that the disciples of John the Baptist begin to get nervous. Now, why did John's disciples begin to get nervous? Here's why, because they were starting to feel jealousy. They were starting to feel insecurity. They were jealous of the attention that Jesus was starting to get. Notice in verse 26, the uh, the disciples of John, they are offended at the ministry of Jesus, In verse 26, they don't mention Jesus' name. Notice they say, John, he who was with you and whom you bore witness. So it's kind of odd. They don't, they're referring to Jesus, but multiple times in one verse, they're communicating to him that, you know, he and whom. It's just odd. Notice they're afraid that Jesus is stealing John's thunder. They say, John, John, look, look, he is baptizing. They're worried. There's a sense of concern. Again, they're, they're, they're feeling insecure on John's behalf and probably their own. Notice they are jealous that Jesus is taking John's people. Notice the hyperbole in verse 26. And they say, look, look, he's baptizing. And all, all are going to him. Everyone's going, John. The whole world is going to this guy over there. Just a little note of application right here. Notice that resentment often leads to exaggeration. Notice that bitterness will often motivate us to speak in terms that aren't actually accurate. Kind of the two things they tell you to never say within marriage is never and always. You never listen to me. Never? You're always blaming me for it. Always? This is a little marriage advice, okay? Tangent, back to the text, all right, all right? <laughs> but just to point out that bitterness can often lead to exaggeration. Resentment does that. Isn't it fascinating right here, though, as you see the ministry of Jesus kind of begin in this way? And John the Baptist, of course, his ministry. We already see here signs of denominational competition, jealousy, and rivalry. You know what's amazing about this? The church hasn't even begun yet. Like Pentecost is a ways away. But already you see people, again, kind of taking up this natural instinct. We're a competition with one another. I read a quote by J.C. Ryle on this theme this week, and I want to quote it in full here. It's on the screen for you. This is very, very relevant and perceptive. He says this, there are never lacking religions professors who care far more for the increase of their own party than for the increase of true Christianity. Hmm. Notice, and who cannot rejoice in the spread of religion if it spreads anywhere except within their own denomination. There is a generation which can see no good being done except in the ranks of its own congregations. 
Listen to this. And which seems ready to shut men out of heaven if they will not enter therein under their banner. Wow. Now, before we start looking across the road at others, I think we first need just to look at our own hearts and just to say, do we think that way at all? Is there any truth in that? And whether individual lives or our families or our churches or whatever it might be. But just think about that. It's, a, it's amazing how so much of the competition, rivalry, jealousy, and envy is kind of created out of this sense it's ours and only ours. Think about how much jealousy has hurt the church and quenched the Holy Spirit over and over and over again. You know, just camping on this theme just for a moment because I think it's just so critical within this text as we see this. It's always fascinating to me that in Mark's gospel, Pilate, secular leader Pilate, when he sees the Pharisees so much wanting to kill Jesus, it says in Mark's gospel that Pilate perceived it was out of envy that they delivered Jesus up to be crucified. It says it right in the text. That's amazing. Pilate knew. They're just envious. They're jealous. Kill him. Kill him. Why? Because he's taking our attention away. Kill him. Fascinating. Envy. Remember, be very careful. Frederick Buchner, he said this. He said this. Envy is the consuming desire to have everybody else as unsuccessful as you are. I'll say it again because there's, there's so much of this that happens within our lives. Envy is the consuming desire to have everybody else as unsuccessful as you are. And then this is also very good. This quote here is also very pertinent right now. Envy is the art of counting another's blessings instead of your own. Pause, think, apply, receive, repent, pray. Envy is the art of counting another's blessings instead of your own. Isn't that so true, right? Instead of being grateful for who we are in Christ and what we have, and by the way, all of us in Christ have every spiritual blessing we could ever want, Instead, we look at what others have and start focusing on that instead of this. And this is what John's disciples were doing, okay? So John the Baptist is confronted with his disciples. Look, 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 John, look, John. Look what's happening, man. The people are leaving you. The attention's moving away from you. It's going to this guy over there we won't even name. How does John the Baptist respond? He responds in an incredible way. Verse 27. John answered, this is where we see what John is truly made of. I mean, was there a man like him in this way, again, in all the scripture? Well, he says this, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Hey, just, just think of the perspective he just stated in that sentence. You can read this in two ways, okay? One, Jesus will be given all that he has because it's a gift from heaven because it's Christ. All that the Father gives me, I will not lose, Jesus says. Jesus could receive no one if it wasn't given from him from heaven. But on the other side of this, the double application, John is like, listen, everything I've ever gotten which is of any good is grace. Anything I've received is not my doing. It's the grace of heaven. It's the gift from above. Now, loved ones, let's learn right now. Pick up the perspective in this moment. There's so much perspective. And do you see how powerful it is? John's disciples are like, John, John, he's hurting your ministry. John's like, my ministry? John, 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 he, he's taking your people. John's like, my people? 
No, no, no. Not my ministry. Not my people. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Is it any wonder then why John is so powerfully used? I mean, just look at how, loved ones, look at how he viewed life. Look at how we view life. All I have is grace. Question, how do we view life? We live in a world flooded with entitlement. Our world teaches us every day we live in a thousand different forms. You are entitled to everything and anything you could ever want. And if you don't get it, stomp your feet, complain and whine and state out loud why you think you deserve greater than what you've been given. That is not biblical perspective. That is selfish self-pity and complaining. This is the perspective entitlement that leads to grumpiness, resentment, again, self-pity, and complaining. But contrast that with John the Baptist's view of life. John the Baptist looks out and he's like, grace, grace, and grace. Left, center, right, grace. It's all grace. Even this contrast, John's disciples are seeking to control and have anger. John, John, come on, man, grab hold of what's yours. Look, 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 the competition. John's response is release and gratitude. Which part would we fall in? You know, one of the powerful, powerful points of life is when you are able to truly release your grip. It's amazing how many of us were tempted each day to control, to hold, it's, it's mine. I have earned this. I deserve this. Uh, I'm, I'm going to hold on to what, what I believe. I, I've worked hard. It's, 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 it's my, I hold it. And if you try to take it from me, then the anger is the result. Because that's mine. But John the Baptist is like, well, actually, it's never mine to begin with. I cannot receive even one thing unless it's given me from heaven. So therefore, I'm just... And he experiences incredible freedom and gratitude as opposed to control and anger. Where can we apply that to our lives right now? Right now. Situations, relationships, finances, future, job, family. Hurt. It's mine. And then, no, no, it's not. It's not. Of course, John 3, 27 is so closely tied to 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Notice, Paul says, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? Grace. If then you received it, grace, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? If it was a gift, why are you boasting like you earned it? It was given to you. So how can you boast of something that was grace in the first place? It wasn't our doing. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like, it's like trying to boast in the color of your eyes. You didn't do anything. You just received that. You had no choice. It's grace. Take a moment. Think about it. The book of James says, every good and perfect gift comes down from heaven above. Every good and perfect gift. Again, a person cannot receive even one thing unless given him from heaven. What a perspective. Think of, you take this perspective and you apply it to life then. Think about it. Think about it. You wake up in the morning. The heat comes on. Grace. Hey, it's getting cold outside. That's Grace. You open the fridge and there's something in there. Grace. Honey, it's a miracle. There's grace in the fridge. Grace. That's what it is. It's grace. You have clothes to put on in the midst of uh, December weather. It's grace. It's, just, it's grace. You have family and friends that 
care for you, love you, any people in your life. It's just, what is that grace? It's, it's all grace. There's, there's, there's any money in the bank at all, grace. Let alone your salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you can wake up and be here today and know that you are a child of God. At the end of the day, you're, you are destined for glory. What is that? It's grace. It's just grace everywhere. Grace, 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 grace. Perspective, all that I have is grace. I cannot receive even one thing of any good unless it is given to me, to us, from heaven. Then think about this, any part in serving Christ and helping others know Jesus Christ that they might be saved from death and life. Grace. Unbelievable grace. Any ministry at all for Jesus Christ, grace. And listen, in the context of our passage, can you see then, when you have this perspective, grace, 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 how much this fights against jealousy and envy, which is killing so many of us? How come I don't have, how, when you're, all you see is grace, you're just like, you're not even noticing what other people have, because you're so obsessed with what you've been given by the grace of God. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Aren't you jealous? Jealous of what? I got it all. You're not competing and comparing because you just see the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what John's doing. John's like, man, I cannot believe. It's incredible. I cannot receive one thing that's given to me from heaven. The perspective of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ changes his life. And even sets him apart from his own disciples. Perspective. It's powerful. Watch, watch. Proper perspective, we decrease. Christ increases, joy enters our life. See that? Improper perspective, we increase, Christ decreases, and then we just get bitter and angry about everything. Point number two, from perspective to position. The proper position then is what? My joy is complete in Christ. My joy is complete in Christ. And look now at verse 28. Look at John. He continues on his role of perspective and now his position. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The bride or the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him, notice, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Just beautiful, beautiful words here. Notice right away, John the Baptist is crystal clear that he is not the Christ. He reminds his disciples of this. I told you, man, I'm not the Christ. I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. But notice this also, loved ones, this does not diminish God's purpose for his life. He says, I told you I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent by God. That's a beautiful theological application for us right now, okay? We understand, loved ones, I mean, you make sure you know this, that we are not Jesus, all right? Did you know that? Yes, good, good, yeah, okay, we're... we're we are not Jesus, right? We are obviously not the Christ, right? But the purpose of our lives is we've been saved by Christ. If we've been our sins forgiven by faith, by grace through faith, if we're alive in Jesus Christ, we are not Jesus. We have been saved by Jesus, and now we get to tell of Jesus. Incredible. So there's one Christ, but we are saved, transformed by Christ to tell of Christ. What, a, what an incredible privilege. What incredible purpose. At the end of time, that we could be used, like think about this, we could be used by God to see others hear the message of the gospel, to be forever saved 
from death and hell and the grip of Satan? Is there any greater position or privilege on earth? There isn't. There's one Jesus, but we are commissioned to tell others of this one Jesus that they might be saved by the message of Jesus. Astounding. John then tells a small parable. His parable includes a bride, a bridegroom, and a friend. The friend is our equivalent of a best man. Now, the New Testament is rich with imagery of the church being the bride of Christ and Christ being the bridegroom, of course. Now, when John said this, was he looking forward? Did, did he understand what was coming in the New Testament biblical imagery of, of bride and bridegroom, of church and Christ? We can't be sure. But the Old Testament also was rich in imagery of this type of language. Was John drawing from that? Probably. One thing's for sure. Practically, he was speaking of a Judean wedding. And just like our weddings, a Judean wedding would have a bride, a bridegroom, and a friend or a best man. Now, he compares himself with the best man. Amazing. Just think what the best man is responsible for within a wedding, a best man of integrity. It's the best man who finds the greatest joy that the wedding goes without a hitch. It's the best man who does whatever he can to see the bridegroom ready to receive his bride. It's the best man when he has such love for the bridegroom as he sees the bride coming down the aisle and he connects the two together as they're coming in, tears well up in his eyes because he's so overwhelmed at the joy that is found between these two that were destined to be together and his joy is found to be complete in the union of the bride and the bridegroom. That's who the best man is supposed to be. His joy is outside of himself. His joy is within the relationship that is before him that he has been called to support and help to bring together. No proper best man would ever want anything different. But as one commentator said, listen to this, and we're very wise to listen. He says, put yourselves in John's shoes and just in the temptation of the flesh. It's not easy to see another's influence growing at the expense of one's own. It's even less easy to rejoice at the sight. How do we do when all of a sudden we find ourselves in the background where we used to be in the foreground? How do we do? John's like, he's like, I couldn't be more happier. I couldn't be more filled with joy. My joy is complete. The joy of complete that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, look what he says at the end of verse 29. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. And notice again, notice in verse 29, what is he rejoicing in? The best man, the friend, when he stands and hears him, he, he hears what? He hears the voice. And it says, he rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Just the voice of Christ. John, his joy is fulfilled at the hearing of the arrival and the coming of Messiah, Jesus Christ. Let's do a little word study of voice in the Gospel of John. I think it's very interesting. Notice this. So this is how John described himself. I am the voice. So, so, so John is the voice. He's, he's the voice for Christ. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. And then our verse here now. Next verse. Our verse we're looking at today, right? He says he rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. The one voice crying out and can't wait to hear the voice of the Son of God. Next verse now. In John 10, 
Jesus says this, my sheep hear my voice. See, when you truly hear the voice of Christ, I know them, he says, and they follow me. When we hear the voice of Christ, just like John saying, I rejoice at his voice, his voice, I follow my whole life. And Jesus says, when those truly hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. When you really, really hear the voice of Christ, man, you're not playing church. You're not half in, half out. You, you are going where Christ is going. Live in the Light is a radio ministry dependent on the support of our listeners. We recognize that your first gifts should be to your local church. But if you feel led to give above and beyond your regular giving, we ask that you prayerfully consider Live in the Light. You can donate to Live in the Light online at liveinthelight.ca or by calling us at 844-225-4448. Or you can contact us by mail. Our mailing address in Canada is 500 Great Lakes Boulevard, Oakville, Ontario, L6L6X9. We can't wait to hear from you. Thanks for listening to us today. Join us again next time on Live in the Light.